Welcome everyone. This is all about Windows Phone Insight Podcast 183, recording us on Friday the 17th of June 2016, the first Friday recording in the history of the podcast, Ray. Indeed it is, yes. I don't think we've ever done a Friday, even all through the All About Symbian time as well. So uh, we got to the end of the week. I managed to postpone on Steve a few times, so apologies for that. Uh, but we wanted to get it in this week. Because actually, Steve, there's an awful lot to kind of get through. There's been a lot going on in kind of the... Windows Mobile and the Microsoft world in general, I would say. Um, so we're going to try and power through as many topics as possible. No doubt we'll get diverted as usual, but uh, <laughs> we'll try and keep the pace going a little better than we did last week. I think last week we spent half an hour on item one, and <laughs> we'll do better this time. Um, yes, there's a huge topic, really. It's not directly Windows Phone, Windows 10 Mobile relevant, but it is Microsoft, and it does involve a rather large sum of money. So if only because it's denting Microsoft's bank balance by $26.2 billion, I thought we'd just perhaps get your take on the buyout of LinkedIn, which I still think... I mean, people have explained to me that Microsoft are kind of getting it for free because of the, they can offset it all against tax. And it's a big accountancy, fill out, accountancy fiddle, but it still doesn't <laughs> seem to be much, much point. Certainly no relevance to, to you or I. Why on earth would LinkedIn, the, 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 the social network for businesses, which in the UK basically is the people who keep spamming me every day from people I haven't heard of for decades. Uh, why on earth Microsoft is actually spending $26 billion on them escapes me. And the only thing I can think of apart from the aforementioned accountancy fiddle is the fact that in America, where of course Microsoft and LinkedIn are based, uh, um, LinkedIn is basically business world everyone is on linkedin and if you're not on linkedin you don't get a job uh, so what's your reaction to this huge sum of money well i have to when i first heard about it i was rather surprised but the more i thought about it kind of the the more it made sense to me um it's interesting as you say there is obviously some uh financial implications for this with the amount of money involved and actually with uh uh, Microsoft and the the tax situation, but that certainly wouldn't have driven the purchase. You know, they've done it because they believe it's the future of the company. Uh, I think it's interesting. We obviously look at Microsoft through the Windows Mobile lens and maybe the sort of wider mobile ecosystem in general. Uh, it's easy to forget that the majority of its billion pound businesses actually exist in the enterprise space, and clearly. LinkedIn is fitting in with that. I think the most telling chart that they included when they announced the acquisition was the, talking about the Microsoft graph and the LinkedIn graph. And if, um, you know, and the way they talked about it in the press release was Microsoft provides the kind of the professional services network. And that's talking about the, its cloud ambitions and all of the software that sits in the background. Whereas uh, LinkedIn provides a professional network, kind of the individuals, the social graph, if you will, for the business world. And you're absolutely right to identify LinkedIn as being very dominant in the business world, you know, hundreds of millions um, of users. And actually, when you put it in that context, 26, 2.2 billion is still a lot, but actually on a per user basis, perhaps isn't so much. But I'd also point out it's a pretty unique uh, institution in the or, or organization company in that I don't think there's anywhere else where you get a kind of global enterprise company directory of that size. And it's not just within your own organization. It will be across every organization. And, you know, you said in some markets it's more established than others, but actually in most markets now, uh, if you're in certain verticals and 
but certainly technology to one extent is one of those um but you know, actually pretty much everyone and i think even steve you have a linkedin account i have a linkedin account i'm pretty sure most people listening to this podcast will have a linkedin account how much you use it is open to debate but that gives uh, microsoft a certain amount of information and actually if you think about the future context and information is going to become all important when we move into this world of AI and multiple endpoints. And it's not necessarily about mobile or desktop. It's about all of those places where you might connect data and having an understanding of your business social graph, your all the network and the people you know and have been contacted with over the years is something that's going to be really valuable to Microsoft. So when, for example, you might type into something like Cortana um, saying, arrange a meeting with James Smith, um, it might not be able to say immediately which James Smith is, but now it's got LinkedIn, it probably can look up and see, oh, you know, there's only one James Smith that you've been in contact with. That's probably the person you mean. And it'll probably still ask you to confirm it, but it can suddenly have that great deal of intelligence. And I mean, a- another way to think about this is Microsoft by buying LinkedIn believes that it's bought a kind of the business version of Facebook and also a certain amount of Salesforce, the kind of CRM, because that's the other thing that LinkedIn does a lot of. It's not just a directory. It does allow you to do that customer relationship management in the business context. And um, I, I think calling it another Salesforce is um, a massive over-exaggeration. Uh, but in the business world, it's certainly in a position to move in that direction. So if you put Microsoft and LinkedIn together, they are two of the really big enterprise players, you know, probably the chances are that Microsoft and LinkedIn between them are one of the very few organizations that's present in pretty much every organization over, say, 100 people on the planet. And so combining those together is something that is potentially very valuable for Microsoft. I think LinkedIn gets a pretty um, bad reputation from some of the user experience it has, and you refer to the spamming and everything else, Steve, and there's plenty of other things like I'm not sure work anniversaries are actually a thing. Um, <laughs> you know, the UI experience on mobile can be pretty poor. There's always that push to make you uh, upgrade to paid services and many other things. And people also complain about the spamming on some of the kind of the, the posting and the status updates. Nonetheless, Microsoft is more than capable of, you know, taking away a lot of that friction and suddenly it becomes much more valuable. And, Actually, the fact that LinkedIn has survived and thrived so much despite those limitations and despite the kind of user experience that certainly isn't that well regarded, I would say. And it depends who you ask, obviously. Um, the fact that it's done so well tells me that there's something really, really valuable there. So if Microsoft can smooth out some of those rough edges and it's very good at building those kind of large scale software and services and combine it in with its existing assets, and you particularly think of uh, Office and a lot of those other enterprise uh, tools and that can be you know across its crm suite things like dynamics but also you know going right back to the server side and as i say that that importance of context information it feels like it could be very very valuable to me so as i say the more i thought about it the smarter it, it seemed i mean i did sort of wince at the price i mean 26.2 billion is a lot of money but then linkedin like i said it's have hundreds of millions of users and if you think you know, microsoft paid you know eight billion odd for nokia's devices and services division okay it's three times that but actually the number of customers that it got is is much higher and arguably is a more natural fit with microsoft's ongoing strategy of sort of cloud first mobile first and its traditional strength in that enterprise space you know microsoft 
more than anything else has succeeded in the business world. In the consumer world, it's had something of a setback. And so I would say, if you look at it in that sense, you know, there's a natural fit there. But also, if you see where Microsoft is going in terms of thinking about the kind of services it's going to build in the future, and that is about um, connecting business people together, the context that they will be able to get from all those uh, personal relationships, that social graph that LinkedIn represents is really valuable. And in one sense, you know, Microsoft we know is Miss Mobile, but if it can be the enabler for those seamless business experiences and interactions in the future, and you know, its tools can rely on that sort of underlying knowledge and all of that contextual data, and to a certain amount, semantic data as well, it will have a massive competitive advantage over its comp- competitors in that space, and it will be the likes of Salesforce, IBM, and many, many others. And so uh, I think it looks like a pretty savvy purchase but you're right to say that it doesn't really have much of a direct impact on consumers at this point in time. And um, in terms of Windows Mobile, no, you know, it's, it's not a big deal other than Windows Mobile will be, be one of the endpoints, one of many, and it will be Android and iOS and desktop and everything else and all the uh, bots that they talked about back at Build that will benefit from having this information within the Microsoft stable. And, you know, you, you only have to look at things like Facebook and some of the other social networks to realize the valuations and how valuable understanding those relationships is. And, you know, Facebook sells massive amounts of advertising off understanding those consumer connections. And that's what Facebook's about. If you look on a revitalized LinkedIn as understanding the business connections, those are potentially even more valuable because that uh, people are willing to pay for networking. They're willing to pay for leads. They're willing to pay to understand their customers and uh, probably more so than in the advertising space. And so, you know, I, I think LinkedIn will move away from trying, trying to do media or advertising. You know, that's, I think, been criticised by its shareholders. It's underperformed there. But um, LinkedIn is more than just a directory. You know, the amount of information that goes through that is pretty incredible. And so, I, you know, I, I've seen plenty of criticism of this, but actually I, I think it's really very smart indeed. However, the the trick will be, you know, getting that right and if microsoft are pitching the kind of new linkedin newsfeed is the place where every professional is goes to be connected and understand the happenings in their network and industry and profession just as we do the same for facebook for consumer that's going to be quite hard to pull off uh, as i say you know there are it almost feels like microsoft will have to start from the ground up in terms of the user experience you know all the social graph and all the connections are there but it is going to have to do but you know but it's got plenty yeah. of experience you know it's been buying things like sunrise and a whole bunch of other ios and android apps so it will know how to build a really really good um mobile user experience and i think anyone who's used uh, windows phone will understand that actually it you know for all its faults windows phone did have a very clear vision in terms of the ui so you know if if microsoft is uh, already built the tools to get their their jobs done and that's you know microsoft office the other half of it is, of course, the professional networks that um, workers connect on and, and rely on. And certainly, I know from my world, you know, LinkedIn becomes incredibly valuable as an intelligence tool, a way of setting things up. You know, within your own company, you'll use an exchange server. But if you're going outside of that, LinkedIn suddenly becomes, you know, really important. I mean, to give you an illustration of that, you know, you're meeting a big new client and you want to know more about them. LinkedIn will be automatically able to bring that information right into Outlook. You'll be able to see it from the invitation in your calendar. Um, perhaps sales representatives using Microsoft's dynamic software will be able to look at the relationships, understand where that's come from. will add that to their own data to create a, a much more complete picture. So, you know, 
I, I think there's more potential there than we perhaps give it credit for. And there are a number of other businesses around LinkedIn, like uh, lynda.com, which is kind of an online training platform. And so, as I say, it, it's easy to be dismissive. And I, I think you're absolutely right to say it's not really interesting to consumers. But actually, that isn't where the majority of Microsoft's business is anyway. So, you know, you talk about the multi-billion pound businesses. All of those are built around things like Office, Exchange, and a, a lot of those other enterprise services, which are largely invisible to the consumer, but certainly make the world go round in the business world. Yeah, I was just justifying in that statement the inclusion of this item on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, just it took 26 billion is still a lot of money. Oh, and yeah, no if, if they had said we're buying LinkedIn, it's a billion, it's five billion, I might, I might have accepted that. But just thinking, think of it in terms of solar panels on your roof, Ray. Now, <laughs> you, you, let, let's say you, you know, you're married or whatever, I'm married. And I say, well, I want solar panels. And the wife says, well, okay, how much is it going to cost? And you say, well, five thousand pounds or something. And she says, well, how long is it going to take before that, you know, that pays for itself? And you do the sums and you work out it's 22 and a half years. And you think, well, hang on, we're not going to be in this house for 22 and a half years at that point the project is scotched surely someone at microsoft must have at least done the calculations on the back of an envelope and thought hang on a minute we'd like to buy linkedin it's a good fit all the reasons rafe just 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 said but 26 billion dollars way way over the share price surely the payback time to satya nadilla actually talks about uh, new opportunities will be created for monetization in other words he's still just ambiguously thinking about ways he can possibly maybe one day make some more money back how on earth is he going to take make 26 billion dollars back and how many decades how many centuries is it going to take i i still think the the the, the headline figure that's what's my stumbling block well i'm pretty sure microsoft would have loved to buy linkedin for a billion or even five <laughs> billion but you know they had to pay the asking price and um it seems from the the rumors going around that Salesforce and maybe others were interested in buying LinkedIn. So, you know, Microsoft in that sense doesn't really get to set the price. But I mean, if you think of it in terms of there being, uh, it's about 400 or 450 million uh, registered users on, on LinkedIn. Um, you know, that sounds like a lot and 24 billion sounds like a lot, but actually you suddenly work that out and go, okay, so that's about what $50, something like that, yeah, um, yeah. a user. And when you consider what uh, LinkedIn charges in terms of its professional services, actually, it starts getting that back quite quickly. You know, um, to be a premium member of LinkedIn is uh, it can be anything up to uh, a couple of hundred dollars a year. And there is potentially for advertising on that. And then you think about these new services. And you're, you're right to identify them. You know, it, it does sound a bit waffly, but I'm absolutely sure Microsoft would have done their due diligence and worked out how quickly they can get it back. So there is the new opportunities, but it can also be seen as a defensive mood. And actually, you know, in the grand scheme of things, paying uh, $50 or so per user is, is not that uh, enormous when you compare it to what, say, um, uh, Facebook paid for WhatsApp, you're actually um, seeing you know, kind of similar levels. And if you go back to things like Instagram as well, um, and I actually think uh, the enterprise world is is more valuable mainly because businesses are more willing to pay for things than consumers, um, you know, in terms of actually stumping up uh, service fees. So yeah, I, I, I completely sympathize with what you say, but, um, you know, in one sense, Microsoft perhaps doesn't have the best track record with acquisition. So I think the bigger risk is, you know, they're not able to integrate it or something doesn't go quite right. Um, but it seems to me it's actually got more synergies than some of the things we've seen Microsoft buy um, over the years. And to say, you know, to me, um, although it's a huge sum of money, actually that, that, that $50 per user seems actually eminently reasonable and yeah. honestly quite cheap. 
Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think there was a bidding war. Um, we'll just finish off this item by saying I think you're right. I think probably Salesforce and even Google might have been um, up, up for buying LinkedIn, and it probably the pricing pricing the bidding probably started at 10 billion and just went up from there and microsoft couldn't afford for linkedin to fall into someone else's hands but it was obviously such a good fit in terms of the, their, their their plans for the future but let's move on with some more concrete uh, facts and figures um a new universal windows platform applications rafe and i must t- tell myself off for um occasionally calling them universal windows programs it's universal windows platform <laughs> programs so it's actually uwpp but we'll try and make that clear in the pros on the site uh, we've got expedia which is a, a sort of a tra- travel and booking site run by microsoft for many a year if not decades the united states postal service which obviously we can't try it here but it's good to see a big name and afterlight which is a popular image editor so that's three big new uh, universal w- windows platform applications just in the last couple of days rafe yes it's always good to see uh, these new applications arriving particularly in the uwp kind of format um, I, I remember saying to you in sort of a previous podcast, I wondered how many would keep coming. But you know, as you say, two pretty big names here. Um, Expedia is a particularly useful one. Um, you know, it's it's an interesting one because Expedia, you always think of existing on the website. Of course, it does, and that's the main channel. But actually, this UWP, I think, does a, a pretty good job of providing a very cohesive experience around Expedia that's honestly easier to use uh, than the website. And so in that sense, it's you know you can see why it's been built. Uh, the UPS one, it feels um, not quite so well put together. Um, but nonetheless, you know, as you say, two big names. And the fact that obviously these will work across uh, phone, tablet and desktop is, is yeah. you know, very much to be welcomed. And it's interesting. I was kind of expecting to see more of a response from... Um, Google and Apple to kind of these UWPs or at least present their vision. And to a certain extent, they're getting there and you, you see Android apps on Chrome, but it's, it's not quite the same way. And, you know, with Apple, you know, they obviously do have uh, uh, unified apps between iOS and the tablet, but not up to the desktop. And even then, you know, there are the UI, you have to do a bit more work, work for. And so, you know, Microsoft still has a pretty unique proposition here. And, it would appear that that's not going to change um, for at least another, you know, 12 to 18 months, um, you know, when you're setting them side by side with other platforms. Um, now, is that because Google and Apple have done their homework and don't think it's that valuable? Or, you know, is it that, you know, they're not quite ready to do it? Because um, as we know from Microsoft, it took a long time to bring that mobile and that uh, desktop platform together. And obviously, Google and Apple have much bigger install bases. So, it would, I would assume, at least be more difficult to do and there's the possibility of, of breaking the platforms a little bit more. Um, and, of course, you know, in Google's case, they don't really have desktop in quite the same way. And although I'm sure Apple is very proud of its MacBook devices and, you know, they're sold in increasing numbers, actually in terms of its relative share of uh, desktop, it's not that big. Um, and, you know, iPhones in terms of iPads, um, or iOS, I should say, in terms of iPhones and iPads is much, much bigger number. And so it doesn't have the same motivation or impetus that Microsoft did. Um, and, you know, in, in one sense, Microsoft had all the motivation because it was able to push desktop down to, to mobile. It wasn't really about the other way around, which, you know, given where the world's going, it's kind of interesting. But yeah, I mean, like I yeah. say, good to see these new, uh, new applications. Yeah. And, uh, I think it's particularly good news for our American friends, really. Yes, and just for clarity, um, it, it wasn't a UPS as in the courier. It was the yes, USPS, sorry. the United States Postal Service, although we are presumably waiting for a UPS Universal app as well. So uh, 
account for that. In fact, having just mentioned three UWPs, I've noticed that there are two more on our show notes, which are worth mentioning at this particular point. One is Grover, which is a Grover Pro, a podcatcher. It's one that we didn't even have in the Windows um, Phone 8.1 world. Certainly wasn't on my radar. It must have been a latecomer. Uh, it's now certainly arrived as the, the front runner, really, in the, the latest in my long, 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 long line of podcatcher comparisons. And I'm kind of working my way through them, uh, reviewing them one by one. But Grover Pro really impressed me. And and uh, certainly on uh, Windows 10 Mobile Redstone on the 950, 950XL, I think that's become my podcatcher of choice. Uh, have you had a look at Grover Pro? I, I haven't yet. Um, so so why should I? I mean, what is it that makes it stand out from the crowd? Because it's pretty hard to get onto the top of your list in, for a podcatcher. <laughs> Well, it works. That's the first. <laughs> Every other Windows Phone 8.1 podcatcher hasn't quite made its way to Windows 10 Mobile intact, shall we say. And they, they all have glitches in terms of um, not doing the background downloading properly. They're uh, unresponsive UI where the play controls don't work. They don't quite remember where you've got to. The UI looks wrong. Uh, basically, things haven't uh, although, in theory, Windows Phone 8.1 applications are supposed to run on Windows 10 Mobile, and they do run, that being a really good podcatcher with all that yeah, user interaction, all of the media control, all of the background downloading, there's an awful lot of podcatchers to do. It's one of the most demanding genres of application, I'd argue. And Grover Pro, I think, has basically almost been a, a rewrite for Windows 10 Mobile, and it shows. It's, it was it's, it was built it for the desktop, for the tablet, for the phone, as a, as a UWP, first and foremost. And because of that, it basically just works. It's been tested, it's been updated many times, and uh, I think I, if anyone's out there looking looking for a reliable podcatcher start with that one and then perhaps move on to something like uh, podcast plus pro i hope we've got that name right i'm testing that at the moment and of course i'm meeting with the programmer behind the much loved podcast lounge in a couple of weeks time and i'm hoping to get a, a sneak peek at his his uwp as well so the whole world of podcatching on windows 10 mobile will will come alive but at the moment grover pro has my recommendation and uh, the other uwp i wanted to mention just at this before we move on rafe is that they, we've now got a proper facebook um, UWP from Facebook themselves. So far, we've had in, in the Windows um, phone world, we've had Microsoft doing most of the heavy lifting in the Windows phone days, Windows phone 8.1, etc. Um, Microsoft even produced their own, conf confusing, their own their own Facebook beta application. But now Facebook has uh, leapfrogged them by producing its official first-party UWP, and it's very slick. Um, it's all white, unfortunately, which doesn't work very well in terms of power friendliness on the 950, 950XL. But that aside, there's not much to complain about. It takes all the information from the Facebook website, which itself works well under Edge, but it adds all the extra sort of notifications and the the, the finer points that you might want from a native application. So uh, it is in beta, but it seems to be working very well, and I've done a story on that. So we'll put all the links to these in the show notes, but good to see Facebook doing for a first-party name for such a huge, huge brand. Yeah, it's interesting because this is one that Microsoft mentioned at the launch of Windows 10 Mobile and along with uh, Instagram. So uh, you know, seeing this come to fruition, it's not entirely unexpected. Um, but also it's intriguing to see Facebook essentially also doing a, a desktop um, app that you can use on your laptop. And obviously, traditionally, those types of users have always gone to the Facebook website and they've diminished in importance. I mean, uh, now Facebook talks about its traffic and um, depending on which market you're in, the, the split can be, you know, anything sort of, uh, 2080, and that's in favor of mobile. And some, some markets it's lower than that, but also in terms of where it's, uh, revenue comes from, it, it's really around now, uh, mobile. There's no really surprise because you know, it's what's convenient for people on the go. And I think a lot of people do sit there idly browsing through their Facebook stream 
uh, actually having an app to do it, you know, it's this old chestnut. Sometimes apps just offer that little bit of extra performance, even when it's kind of just a, a flow of, or a feed of data, which, yeah. you know, are, are, if I'm honest, the applications that work best when they're just uh, web wrappers. Um, but, you know, we talked last week about kind of the, there's a favorite for that and how you could use uh, Edge and use sites to do a lot of the functionality if there wasn't an app. And I think I express the opinion that apps always offer a superior experience. And actually, I think the Facebook one here is a, a really good example of that. And particularly when you get into some of the uh, messenger functionality as well, you know, that makes a difference, difference too. Um, but equally well, you know, again, like you say, the power of these UWP apps. Um, and uh, I think this is an example where we wouldn't have seen um, a first party app from Facebook if it had just been for Windows 10 mobile. You know, the fact that they've been able to make it across all Windows 10 platforms, I imagine is much more attractive. Now, there's probably a bit more to the deal than that because obviously uh, Microsoft does have an investment in Facebook and obviously it's a really big name. So it makes sense for it to have apps for every single platform. But I'm pretty sure uh, UWP would have made that uh, decision much easier for Facebook. And I'm sure Microsoft sold them on it and pushed them on it very hard. Yeah, and of course, it's uh, the Facebook UWP links through to something I think we might have mentioned in last week's podcast, which is that Facebook Messenger is also out now in beta um, at, from, again, first party from Facebook. And obviously, they had to release these apps in that order because this one refers to the previous program. Yeah. So um, whereas you, the Facebook client itself, you could argue it doesn't offer that much over the mobile site. Of course, for a Messenger application, it has to be a native application. And I think that we really are entering a, a, a battle of messenger messaging clients really in the D apple wwdc which i know you watched on monday night they made spent an inordinate amount of time looking at the, all the enhancements to iMessage and, and i couldn't really give two stuffs for uh, all <laughs> the, the the bubbles and the emojis and the fireworks and everything but you could see that they were deadly serious about saying okay um iMessage is almost a platform in itself um including things like paying people and uh, looking things up in maps and accessing siri all with from iMessage and we saw this thing was it with line um in the past and also with whatsapp and all these different uh, messaging platforms trying to keep you within the messaging experience do everything you want within this flow of messages to and from your friends and groups and communities and obviously facebook wants a piece of that and facebook messenger is one of the world's largest uh, instant messaging communities and and it's good to see i you know this stage to have a fully native application for that on windows 10 mobile as well absolutely i mean we've talked about wechat and we talked about uh, facebook messenger bots in the past and how they were almost becoming a new platform in itself and actually for uh, windows 10 mobile users it's good news because obviously you've got a first class implementation of facebook messenger now available um in the microsoft store and you know in that sense anything that's happening in that space will be readily and immediately available at the same time it is on other platforms and as you say you know there's a lot of activity around this space We've seen Telegram do stuff. You refer to WWDC then. As you say, some of the uh, cosmetic bits um, or maybe the more expressive features of um, messages and iMessage um, are maybe less interesting to those of a more conservative audience, should I say. Because, you know, <laughs> actually, I think the idea of being able to translate things into emojis is incredibly clever. And, you know, actually, it has been done a couple of places before. But uh, as always with Apple, the implementation was very slick. But I think the much you know, further reaching one, as you say, is kind of this idea of apps and um, it's based on Apple extensions and they're also doing something similar for um, maps and for news as well. You know, that ability to kind of have an app almost inject itself and be part of another app 
um, you know, the app becomes a platform in the same way we talked about the OS as a platform is, you know, incredibly, um, it, it's the way things are going. So I think it's quite forward looking. And I think the smart developers will be there. Now, in the case of messaging, I think it's certain types of activities, you know, and Apple demonstrated being able to do a collaborative order. I think that's the sort of thing that's interesting in doing payment. Anything that's sort of peer to peer would have traditionally taken place in a, a messaging application. It, it makes sense. And we're going to see Microsoft do the same thing, um, with things like, uh, uh, Skype and it's actually betting that it will build a lot of the infrastructure underneath. And that's you know, what it talked about at build. And we talked about that on the podcast. So it's absolutely possible to see a whole bunch of Microsoft technology relatively invisible to the consumer, but underlying Facebook messenger bots and potentially even, um, you know, uh, these iMessage apps, because they'll probably be calling out to a web service in many cases and, you know, in order to get stuff that will be useful. Um, but it is a, it, it, it does feel like it's space that's in flux and, you know, there has had this sort of stuff done before. I mean, way back, uh, Nokia talked about the map becoming a platform and that was always their ambition. It didn't really, they didn't really pull it off in quite the same way. Um, but I mean, I don't know about you, Steve, but I actually find this idea of sort of breaking out of the traditional app side and being able to access apps in all sorts of places actually really interesting because it matches up with the way, you know, you use your phone. It's actually a pain to have to go back to the app launcher, go and find what you're doing and maybe copy and paste it back into a messaging conversation. Or sometimes when you're on the lock screen, you know, being able to dive in and just do a little bit or the idea of rich notifications. And actually, I think um, Windows Phone really pioneered this with the live tiles, this idea that you'd be able to see a certain amount of information. I mean, they never really took it to the next stage, which would have been to make that uh, more interactive. But this sense, if you like, that, you know, you can get information and then the follow on to that is do things without having to open up the app, I think is really interesting. And, you know, this idea that basically you can install an app and never actually open it again after you've done the initial setup because you always access its functions from, you know, a notification drawer, from a lock screen, from inside Messenger, from inside another application, I think is really interesting. Um, So, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a, a diversion away from Messenger, but in that sense, great to see Messenger on Windows 10 Mobile. Yeah, and I can see a day when, we've talked about this before, when Cortana uh, itself is taken to the next level. And as you say, you can you could almost have a conversation with Cortana and you use that as your jumping off point for asking for information, for getting it to do things for you. Uh, and whether it ends up being Cortana or Skype or Facebook Messenger or WhatsApp, these are all different ways, environments you can live in that let you do an awful lot of things and yeah. increasingly uh, even more and more things. But we'll come back to that in a future podcast, I think, because uh, we must move on. I know how you live it when I spot things, Rafe, and I, there was a, a story during the week about this came out of a conversation someone had with people at HP. They were talking up the HP Elite X3, and they made this statement. They said, with the upcoming Windows 10 anniversary update, you'll be able to pick up where you left off and continue in case you need to undock your phone to answer a call. And you may remember back in the first days of the display dock and continuum, one of my biggest beefs was the fact that you could, you, if you did undock your phone from the display dock uh, or cable, etc., and went off to take the aforementioned phone call, you'd come back and find you had an empty continuum dock and an empty screen. And you'd have to go and find your applications, tap on the icons all over again. Um, in actual fact, is it completely quietly and under the radar, Microsoft has been sneaking some of this code into the insider builds for Redstone. And I did some testing, and you can see the screenshots in the story, which we'll link in the show notes. Um, if you now, say, run up a, in my test, I did four different applications, maps, uh, store, 
um, Outlook and Edge. I then undocked my phone, went off out of the room, went back into the room, plugged in again, and those same four application icons are still on the system tray at the bottom of the uh, the continuum screen. Um, they're not actually alt-tabbable, i.e. you can't uh, as if they were plugged in originally, originally, you'd be able to alt tab between these applications just like you would on a, a Windows a laptop or desktop. So you can't quite get there yet, but at least shows you <laughs> there's a visual representation of exactly what you were doing when you when you undocked. Uh, and you can see that it's probably only a, a short step from there to actively enabling the full alt tab mechanism and the full multitasking uh, system. So I, I think Microsoft is going to quietly implement the rest of this and that by the time the anniversary update does hit, uh, HP are absolutely right that you will literally be able to undock your Lumia 950, 950XL, your your uh, Acer Jade Primo or your HP Elite X3 and plug it back in again and you'll be back up and running with uh, almost no extra taps needed, which I think is a jolly good thing. Yeah, I think that's uh, it's a nice discovery. And it's a very good bet. And I don't know about you, Steve, but I think that will make a big difference to using Cortana in practical terms. Because at the moment, it sort of it feels like you switch into Cortana mode, you use it for an hour or two, and then you switch away. And it kind of takes away from that ability to kind of quickly switch between the two devices. And that can be something as simple as a, a phone call coming in or actually wanting to use an app that doesn't maybe work so well in continuum mode and you know or, or you just pick up the phone and walk around with it or whatever it happens to be so to me that is, is one of the most interesting continuum updates that's coming i mean i do look forward to the ability to use it on more screens and uh, you know to take over a computer display but nonetheless i think in terms of the usability of uh, continuum that's going to make an enormous difference yeah, and we're hoping to get hands-on with the uh, the HP Lease X3 and also its laptop uh, and other accessories, hopefully this week, and we'll report back on the site. Um, this is an interesting one, Rafe. Uh, Apps Corner um, is, is part of Windows 10 Mobile, and when they introduced it, I think it was Lumia Denim it first came in, um, we thought, well, hang on a minute, doesn't this rather duplicate Kids Corner, which is uh, very much the same sort of idea? Um, and I think Microsoft has realized now the same thing. Both of these... Um, names these features in settings and made it through to the initial few builds of Windows 10 Mobile but uh, Donna Saka of Microsoft has now said that for the official anniversary update I when Redstone's finally done and dusted and indeed I noticed in the very very latest build which came out this morning um, the kids corner has now been quietly dropped I, I mean I, I put a walkthrough on the site of how you can basically set up apps corner for your kids basically turning off all the various controls to stop them getting into the rest of your phone all the things you, i suggest you do and then set them up with games and youtube and whatever else they might need without any risk to your data and your own uh, your own setup i think that's going to be perfectly sufficient and i can quite see that i think microsoft would justify having kids corner as a whole separate sort of bootable section of the phone if you like it's one extra big subsection to maintain with very little gain i don't think many people were using kids corner whereas apps corner is more flexible and you generally can pin any application and you can completely control the the, the environment so i'm all for it long live uh, uh, long live apps corner yeah it's interesting because you're right i would wonder how many people were using kids corner and i do like the fact that in recent updates microsoft hasn't been afraid to get rid of functionality that isn't being used by very many people i think that 
honestly should be a positive because it means there's more focus going on to the features that everyone does care about but inevitably there'll always be someone that's annoyed and like i said apps corner has a, a wider range of uses at the moment there's still a few bits to be be done i noticed in the comment thread there was a reference to being able to access from the lock screen and the performance being pretty poor but um as jim Strauss, who left that comment said it, it's pretty likely that's going to get uh, fixed up in the next few updates so yeah it seemed like a, a good bit of news for me and again, it's, you know, um, I can't say I ever, ever used uh, Kids Corner other than to sort of just try it out. But I have spoken to people who find it incredibly useful, that ability to hand over a, a phone without kind of having to worry too much about, you know, something happening to either your sensitive data or the apps or your start screen layout getting messed up. Because I certainly have lent a phone to someone and had it come back with a start screen slightly reorganized, <laughs> which is a, a little irritating. Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, I, and I, although I personally, I wouldn't take my, for example, my 950XL beautifully set up, every tile where I want to, every application signed in, all my data, uh, including some quite confidential stuff. I would, I would never in a million years hand that even to a 10, 11, 12 year old and say, there you are, play a few games. Um, you have to have some kind of control. And to me, this, this apps corner and kids corner before it were, were, were the only way I could even possibly envisage that. And even then I would think, well, I'm a bit nervous. They're going to drop it and scratch the screen or smash the screen or put greasy fingerprints all over it. I'd much rather get them a, you know, a, a cheap Lumia 520 or 535 or something, put a games on that then i can not worry at all but it's just good to see anyway so so look out for apps corner and have a play with that because i think it does everything that i need certainly and i've got a, a truckload of under 10 relatives who i i i regularly consider lending phones to perhaps not my main phone and uh, to having that sort of functionality i think would be a, a big boon um if, see, we did mention there the different redstone insiders builds and also the windows 10 mobile production build um so that's people with it you know who don't dabble in the insiders program at all uh they're then up to build 10586.420 and uh quite gratifying rate that even if you're not an insider there's still been two sometimes two builds a month certainly one build a month one update a month pushed out to just about every single user of, uh, of the os worldwide whereas uh if, if say in the android world that that if you go to any community, whether it's LG or Samsung or HTC, they're, they're, the users are crying out saying, when are we going to get this update or that update? And sometimes there can be as much as three, four, five months between updates. So I, in, there are some senses, Ray, from which Windows 10 Mobile and Microsoft are actually doing quite well. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because Microsoft always said about Windows 10 Mobile and Windows 10 in general that they'll be moving to a pattern of continuous updates. But I think quite a lot of us were a bit sceptical about that or even maybe been around too long and, and being cynical. But they certainly seem to be delivering on the promise. I mean, it's interesting because as a result, you don't see sort of big bang updates. You know, the features creep, you know, creeping gradually. And actually, if you read through, um, say, the show notes, uh, the show notes, the change notes, for the latest uh, updates, there isn't anything that immediately makes you go, wow, I mean, actually, there's been some uh, annoying bugs fixed and things like that. And, um, you know, it, it feels like um, they're still tweaking the UI in a lot of places. Uh, I think one of the recent ones was actually uh, making settings look a little bit better. And honestly, I couldn't see too much wrong with it myself. <laughs> but, uh, you know, those kind of things are coming in. But actually, yeah, credit to, to Microsoft. And, uh, you know, there isn't really another phone os that i can think of um even going back you know into to history that had such a a swift rollout program and so they really have been able to deliver on this uh 
kind of idea of continuous updates. Now, the cynics might say, well, that's because <laughs> the size of the ecosystem isn't that big. But nonetheless, it's still impressive from a, a technological point of view. And I think particularly as you identify that, it's not just in the insider program. It's also in kind of that, uh, you know, stable release as well. So, yeah, uh, a, a good thing. I mean, of the recent updates, um, anything that's particularly caught your attention, Steve? I mean, it tends to be um, you only notice them, aside from obviously reading the change logs, if it uh, impacts on something you do every day. So I was just wondering if uh, I have to admit in the last set of updates wasn't anything for me. But uh, how about you? The over overriding thing is the fact that so many of them are bug fixes, as you, as you said. It, obviously, we're expecting that because we're so close to the anniversary update now. But it it's rather telling that ninety percent of the bug fixes I've never actually experienced, either because I'm not using that functionality or because those those bugs only rear their head under certain circumstances. Uh, it, it just goes to show we've said this so many times over the last few years how complex modern operating systems are, and you can get a user, say Mr. Rafe Blanford, who's a hundred percent happy with his Lumia and he uses Absolutely. it day to day without a single problem but let's say for the sake of example um, and yet at the same time there might be 500 1000 2000 bugs lurking under the hood which you don't actually hit and you therefore you consider it bug free but which other people around the world are hitting and with tens of millions if not hundreds of millions of lines of code that any operating system and i don't care whether it's android or ios or windows phone or yola or whatever or blackberry 10 they're all demonstrably buggy they're all demonstrably uh, able to fail and i've had as many problems with the android developer preview um in terms of just uh, just little glitches here and there as i have to be honest with the windows 10 mobile um system which admittedly i push rather rather harder but it's interesting back in the end of 2015 we you were asking me each week sort of how complete is is windows 10 mobile and i was giving figures like well 98% and it was getting closer to 100 but then of course they they launched um, Redstone and this whole next gen branch and I, that that figure then got reset i think back to about 95% in my mind i think the threshold branch this production branch we, we linked the the latest um, update i would say that probably is 99% now they're, n they're certainly not going to add any extra t tweaks they're literally just fixing the last few bugs and my devices which are on the production build are generally pretty stable and without any major problems. The Redstone builds, they are still quite buggy. And I, I've tried living with the latest Redstone build on the 950 and the 950XL, and each time I've come away after a couple of days because there are just too many things which do not work still. So I would say put that at 95%. And it's it's kind of kind of worrying, really. Are they, again, as we come to this every single year, are they going to get to 100% by the time they ship? And the answer is no. Then again, you could argue that Google never quite get to 100% in any version of Android, Android 5, Android 6. When they ship those OSs, do do Apple ever get it right on the first try? Definitely not. You nearly always have to wait for iOS, whatever it is, major number 0.1 or 0.2 or 0.22 before you finally get a fully stable build that everyone's happy with. So I, I think they're getting there. I, I, I worry that they're going to finish Redstone in time for this July the 29th um, deadline. I suspect they, that will actually slip. And I know it would be nice for them to ship it on the exact a year after the first Windows 10 OS was made available on PCs, but this is mobile, and we can cut them some slack. I suspect <laughs> all of I suspect all of that will actually end up slipping. It might be in sometime in August. It might even be September. I wouldn't mind if it meant a more bug-free, more stable, more mature system. Yeah, I'd agree. It's always better to move back if in doubt. And I think most uh, mobile platforms now tend to come out um, a little bit too early. But then, of course, you know, sometimes you don't identify some of those problems or certainly not the priority of them. 
until you've got more people testing and, and using it. And, you know, all of the companies have massive testing programs. And it's, it's, like you say, it's a testament to the complexity that they aren't always identified and fixed uh, ahead of time. But honestly, it's the trade-off. You you have uh, devices that are so much more capable and so able to do so many more things. And if that's the price we have to pay, well, so be it as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah. One final thing before we finish. I did do a comparison on the site, Rafe, between the current... Uh, Windows 10 mobile flagships that we know of. <laughs> Obviously, there's we, we, there's a an Alcatel device which is yet to be announced. So I've left that off for the time being. But uh, the 950 and 950 XL from Microsoft, of course, the Elite X3 we've already mentioned, and the Acer Jade Primo, which is actually seems to be announced for many many months now, and it's still not out. But we're hoping again to have hands on with that fairly soon. But I I wanted to break down the specifications and the capabilities in terms of a, a table form where people can compare like with like and get a sense for which was the higher spec option, which was the one to go for. And my conclusion really was that it was between the 950XL and the Elite X3. I thought felt the Jade, uh, Jade Primo, which was uh, certainly cutting, uh, well, certainly competitive with the Lumia, the pair when it was launched, I think is now starting to fade a bit. And uh, it's been, what, it was, uh, six, seven, eight months since it was first mentioned. And here we are, and it's still not out. The Elite X3 is still itself has got a four or five month lead time, but um, at least that's that they, they knocked all the specs out of the park i think i joked at the time that it's just if they uh that they just they just ticked everything on a spec sheet and said right never mind it's choosing uh, eight specs from 10 or 18 from 20 let's have all 20 let's have all 100 and they've every single thing you can possibly think of is in the elite x3 as a result it's probably going to be the most expensive of the flagships um going down the list of uh, the specifications i'm i'm keen to know what which one you'd probably go for purely on a specification basis i would still possibly lend myself the 950xl because i think the image superior and that that's important to me but that elite x3 if those stereo speakers are as good as they some of the forward facing uh, stereo speakers are on some other devices in the smartphone world then that might just swear for me as well rafe but uh, which would be your pick well i mean it's interesting because as you say it comes down to how good uh, the specs are in terms of the real world implementation you know on paper yeah no question the hp elite x3 but HP doesn't have the same level of experience of putting together a device that uh, Microsoft teams did you know, when they were doing the Lumia 950 XL. And you know, obviously something like the camera is important. And actually looking at it, you know, the raw specification of the camera do suggest the 950 XL is quite a bit ahead. But then you look at things like, well, you know, using the battery, that's 4,150 milliamp hours on the uh, HP device. So it's got, you know, almost 25% or a third again, um, over the 950 XL, it's probably going to need it to be fair given some of the extra specifications. But also, you know, things like being IP67 uh, you know, compliant in terms of durability, so kind of liquid and dust protection, that's actually you know a nice thing to have. And so uh, I, I think if I was being um, a gambling man, I'd go, oh, yes, I'll have the HP Elite X3 when it comes out. If you want to take the slightly safer option, I think the 950 XL is great because, I mean, although... Um, the Elite X3 does have some nice things like the Snapdragon 820 and the extra RAM. Actually, I'm not sure how much they're really necessary on Windows 10 Mobile. be interesting to see whether it makes a difference on Continuum, particularly as we start to add in more features um, and, you know, maybe a bit more future-proof. But, yeah, it, it's a good one. I mean, the Jade Primo, you're right, has sort of... You know, it feels like it's it's missed an opportunity. Of course, Acer could very easily update the specifications and release a you know, identical bit of uh, software. But I saw both the HP and the Acer device uh, back in Barcelona in sort of March time, and yeah, 
I would say the HP was the more attractive device. Um, from a personal point of view, though, I do think the screen is just actually a little bit too big. Um, 5.96 inches, uh, that, you know, I find the 950XL very big. And so that extra size would probably put me off a little bit in terms of yeah. choosing it as a, a personal device, especially when you do have that kind of uh, laptop extender option. And it kind of feels to me like, um, you know, I'd almost rather see uh, maybe not a, a you know five inch and uh, maybe a five point five inch device because that just feels like it would be a little bit more portable, easy to hold in the hand, and I would then ma- consider marrying it with a, a laptop device because I think it's a really intriguing combination. I mean, you and I have spoken about that being something we'd really like to explore. I, honestly, I have my doubts about the execution. We've talked about Cortana and what it's actually like to use when you're trying to use it for doing some productive work. But nonetheless, it's an intriguing combination. And so having gone full circle, I think I'm going to say, actually, I, I fancy trying out the Elite X3, but only with the proviso that I'd want it to try it out with the kind of the extender, the laptop, because that would yeah. put it into a new category for me. Other than that, I would probably stick with one of the 950s and possibly the smaller device. So the 950 Rover, the 950XL. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to not only trying the laptop where you can basically dock your uh, continuum compatible smartphone and turn it literally into a Windows 10 laptop to all intents and purposes. I'm, I'm also looking forward to trying that by plugging it into a Microsoft device. And I'm wondering whether it will be 100% compatible. I'm expecting it should be. I can't see why it wouldn't be because it's still USB-C and it's still Continuum. It's still the same OS. So it'll be rather interesting um, this week when I roll up to the HP offices and plug in my Lumia 950 XL into their HP kit and see their look of horror. But I'm, I'm, I'm hoping it's going to work anyway. And I think that will be quite a telling Telling accessory, I think a lot of people are looking forward to a laptop type extension, whether it's from HP or from Acer, because they both do one. Um, And also, I'm interested to hear those speakers as well. I'm a big fan of good audio on a smartphone. The 950XL speaker really doesn't cut it for me. So again, those uh, Bang & Olufsen branded speakers, I think, are a big attraction for me. Um, Just trail one thing before we finish, Rafe. Uh, We do have an All About Windows Phone Universal Windows Platform app, but people have been asking for this for months. And uh, although we kind of said a couple of weeks ago that that there's no real need, we do have some exciting news that one is actually going to appear. Uh, We can't give concrete details yet and there's a very kind member of the community who's been helping us out in a huge way but uh, look out for that within a few weeks yeah it's really exciting news i'm i'm really looking forward to being able to share this with the wider community even if it does mean i feel a bit foolish having said there wouldn't be one and i did mention (laughs) you know uh, someone could step forward and actually they have done so a big big thank you um we will share more details of that but um actually it's a a big step up um we're sort of still sorting out some of the uh some of the details but actually we'll be looking to get your feedback um very shortly and details will appear on the website uh, just soon and that will of course offer you a aawp experience across phone tablet and desktop and i'm very excited to be able to share that um shortly hopefully and most importantly of all it's it has a dark theme so you'll be able to read your favorite <laughs> website on an amoled screen phone without feeling like you're draining the battery at 10 percent an hour or whatever it's it works so that so i'm a big fan of dark themes um this has been a slightly longer than usual podcast but being recording on a friday we can't possibly now go to 
three days time or four days time to the next tuesday scheduled recording so what we're going to do we're going to go 10 days again another 10 day gap i'm afraid but uh, you've had the best part of an hour hopefully apologies for any waffle and, and any errors we're, it's the end of a long week and we're both a bit tired but i'm ho- hopefully you've got some enjoyment and some facts and some interest out of the last uh, the last bit of chit chat so i'll say goodbye and i'll let rafe sign off absolutely i just want to say a big thank you to steve who's my co-host and he's been doing some Great content on the site this week. If you haven't read it, make sure you go and read it now. We've been talking about it all through this podcast. And thank you to you as well for listening. And please tune in next time.